As has been mentioned before, this podcast is recorded in a household full of animals. So there may be interruptions by dogs, cats, no chickens. The chickens are all asleep. Yes. But after we're done recording, I have to go check on them because it's going to be cold tonight. Yes. Yes. What are you going to do? Bring them little sweaters? I, I don't know. I'll figure something out. Just check on them and make sure they're, you know, okay. It's, I don't know. Anyway, we should also mention that while this podcast does not have actual explicit, explicit content, we, we do swear a lot, and so we have to kind of mark it explicit on iTunes. And sometimes our metaphors get away from us. They do. To dark, terrible places. We try not to do that on this podcast. But parental guidance is suggested, although not necessarily required for every episode. That much being said, hey, welcome to Productivity Episode 24. I've got a great conversation I just had with our friend Crimson, yes, aka Jacob Dawson, that we're going to play for you guys in just a little bit. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about the general productivity thing, and we'll talk to our Wombat test subject Woo. as we go along. So, Fun thing in productivity land for me is I just spent two days in a training class, specifically on the Agile Scrum methodology, so that I can continue to improve myself as a fledgling project manager slash uh, Agile coach slash productivity guy who talks on the internet. <laughs> what is fascinating about it, because a lot of times you say Scrum in a business setting and people are either yes this is a great system and they're usually in smaller places and the more the bigger places are like oh god i hate this this is horrible they tried to implement it they tried to make it corporate it is terrible but we're stuck with it and we all hate it and i'm never working in an agile or scrum environment again if i can help it and I think a lot of that comes down to, having done a lot of learning now, that you can't fit this particular set of practices into a corporate environment very well. You, uh, th there's, there's an upper limit on the size. There, no, there's not necessarily an upper limit on the size. It's that when companies come in to implement this, instead of saying, okay, we're going to we're going to roll it out gradually or we're going to do it in the pure form and then tune it what they do is they either make some monstrosity that fits all the corporate speak so that there's confusion around the difference between a project manager and a scrum manager which are really two different people and two different jobs or that it's just now overburdened with all of these extra requirements for meetings and strictures that aren't really, and I'm using it in the lowercase form here, agile, not very adaptable, because they want to have a, a nice, precise, empirical, step-by-step, meet-this-goal-deadline predictable thing, and it isn't really designed around that necessarily. Well, the step-by-step -step meeting this goal is corporations like things that they can take to their managers, that their manager can take to their upper right. managers, that they can take to the stock people. Right. And I'm not going to say it's incompatible. What I am going to say is it's really difficult 
to implement in a way without causing a lot of pain. And so anytime a company is going to make a shift, there's going to be pain. But if they aren't willing to put the time and investment into learning about the system and bringing people in to help them understand and coach about it, it's probably going to go badly and it's going to become a monstrosity of a system that everybody's going to hate and then end up struggling with what are you going to do and it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. I'm reminded of Connie Willis's brilliant book, Bellwether. Yes. Which is ostensibly science fiction, but is mostly about working in a corporate lab environment. It is. And it has a brilliant scene where, you know, management mm-hmm. is getting them all together to talk. And they're like, yeah, we do this every six months. We get a new sheet of, a new set of forms and management gets a new acronym. <laughs> right. And the, the idea behind Agile practices, and I'm using a capital A, Agile, and the Agile Manifesto is that you're constantly adapting to changing market conditions, to changing technology, to changing requirements, and making continually improving, continually better software. Not like in the old world where game developers are still like this. I will admit, game development is one of those places where it's kind of hard to implement something like Agile. You don't have to write us and tell us about Valve. Yeah, because Valve is a separate, is a special case. Valve is unique, um, but in the big houses, Ubisoft, EA, uh, Activision, Blizzard, Blizzard, Activision, however they're oh. glommed together, they have specific goals. They have specific market dates. They have whole marketing engines behind it. And so for them, a step-by-step, we're going to have this feature ready on day X so that we can demo it on day Y so that we can ship a finished product that does not necessarily need to be patched because it's going to be on a CD. Although, thankfully, console makers have kind of fixed that now. But here's a finished product that is finished, finished, and we can move on to the next thing. Whereas... I I am hearing the sounds of hollow laughter from the audience. I'm sure. That's the dream, anyway. Yeah. Let's let's go with that. In, That's the dream. In the in the in the pre-internet connected devices days, like if you got a disc for your PlayStation, a PlayStation game, you weren't going to get patches or updates. Nope, you just had a disc. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so a lot of those companies are are work on that concept. Here's the did work on that. Did concept. work on that concept. Uh, a lot more are getting now. They have maintenance teams that are working in these continually improving, continually patching cycles. This is especially true with MMOs. Oh, well, they have to be because they expect you to keep playing it. Right. And also a lot of kind of smaller online games. I'm pretty sure that, like, I just started playing Kingdom of Loathing again as sort of a little side thing. It's a weird little RPG on a web page and your stick figures and it's it's... You know, they can, but they are small enough and continually updating things so that they can do these incremental changes and continual improvements. And they just released a game on Steam, and I believe they're probably going to be doing the same sorts of things with that. The game development cycle has gotten so weird and so Mm -hmm. complicated. I don't know if we can pretend to know anything about it at this point. My knowledge is out of date. Um, Now we've gotten into the whole Steam open beta thing where you yep. release the game two years before you release the game. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
things have gotten complicated, so I'm not going to pretend that I can speak with any authority about it. And if you try to pretend you can, I'm going to punch you. I, I really can't. Yeah. I really can't. I can talk <laughs> about what it used to be like, because that's what shipping software product, product was really was like um, when I started in this business, was, all right, we have burned the image with the floppy disks for version 2, and that's it. We have to. We'll start work on version 2.1, but we're not going to ship a 2.0.1 because people aren't. It's incredibly difficult for people to download and update. We have to ship the whole thing. We can't just send out little patches, mm. kind of the same way we can now. I mean, you could, but it was. There were architectural difficulties. Anyway. Anyway, so what it gets back to though is, yeah, large corporations are steering oil tankers. And that is that the front can change direction before, and the the back end of it will still be going in the old direction. Sometimes for as much as a day in a corporate world, that can be sometimes as much as six months, or more. Or yes. more, yeah. Um, there was a, there was a, a I think there are parts of IBM that are still aligning with the changes that were made when I worked there as a contractor back in the nineties. You know. There yeah. was uh, changes when we were working with them at Red Hat and we just hammered out the partnership where they were going to sell Red Hat Linux and not just the Linux they were selling. And they were still, you know, there were still internal conflicts in IBM because the memo hadn't quite distributed through the entire organization yet. I'm not going to tell you about my corporate days because honestly, the, the screaming's almost stopped in the night now. You could, you could. <laughs> We could do an entire convention <laughs> panel about what we did before we were artists. Occasionally as threads go yeah. around Twitter, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, anyway. Anyway, so that's what I've been doing, and I'm taking my certification exam next week. So hopefully next podcast I will be able to say, yes, I did it, or I have to, I have to go back and restudy and retake the exam. On to our Wombat test subject. I started using Remember the Milk to keep track of my word count. Okay. I hate it. You hate it. It uh, it requires too many clicks. Too many clicks. Ah. Or taps in this too case. Too many taps, yes. Okay. And I I feel so... Oh, this is such a spoiled brat sounding thing to say, <laughs> but Wonderlist was so sleek, I wrote things down on the list... Mm -hmm. And as soon as I had typed it in and hit return, there was a little box next to it, and I just clicked the little box on the main screen, and it was done. Right. And remember the milk, I have to click the item, and then it pulls up a side screen, and then I click the thing that says done. If And, and then mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. I wanted to see the items I had completed on that task, right. I just hit the button on the main page that said show completed tasks on, and it would right. show them all. And mm -hmm. my uncompleted And your uncompleted, yes. Remember the milk, I have to go. It's I can show completed tasks or I can show uncompleted. You want to see them both, fuck you right in the ear. Okay. And if I so and and again it's a it's it's two clicks to get mm -hmm. me to the screen to show me right. the the completed tasks, and then it's two more clicks to get me back to the other ones as opposed to just one button. For, and it it's this this sounds almost like there's a limitation of the mobile app versus the website because when I've used the website okay I still have the thing where if I want to see completed tasks I have to basically click a different tab but it's not I have to open another screen to choose completed so that I can view completed and then I have to open another screen 
to go back task. to to add task yeah it with with the web interface at least I can add a task and it's got a little checkbox next to it and I can click the checkbox and I'm done. Nope, on the web thing you hit the plus sign, mm -hmm. it pulls up a thing. You mean the, the app? On the app, yeah, yeah, you hit the plus sign. Right. It uh, it it's new task, you write the name of new task, you hit mm -hmm. done, it puts it in and then I have to click the task, go over to edit, hit the check mark for it being done. Wow, yeah. And it's uh, That's a little that's a little clunky. Yeah, and that's the thing. None of it is bad. I mean, it's not like... Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't just been using Wonderlist with little hearts in my eyes, <laughs> it would not be a problem. But it's just... And the thing is, like, an individual click sounds like such a wussy thing to complain about. Yeah. But when you do art... Yep. Um, particularly if you're doing Photoshop, Paint, or any of those, workflow is... Oh, immense yeah. and it one extra mouse click mm -hmm. switching back and forth between things will i mean that is that is as many times as i do this in a day working mm -hmm. that if a program changes it so i have to click another screen that is more that you that, have to that, relearn the muscle memory i have to relearn the muscle memory but it's not even it, it's just that increases my time mm -hmm. by you know I, it may only be two percent but right. Every single time, you know, that adds up and it's, it's, it's not streamlined. And when you're making art is hard enough mm -hmm. without having to click all the damn buttons to right, right. The, if they don't need to be clicked. It's, it's... No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if I was on a factory floor mm -hmm. and assembling widgets and I was like, this takes me... Uh, two-tenths of a second longer to assemble this widget because of this, mm -hmm. they would automate the system and give me a better thing because two-tenths right. of a second per widget, holy crap, no, that's that's a million dollars well, a year. Yeah, know? at this point, though, they would be automating everything about that well, because yes, they could I, do 150 I'm, in a minute, right? Yes, and I'm, you know, out mm -hmm. on my ass with a sign saying we'll make widgets for food, but <laughs> the, the, the point is on, on repetitive tasks like that, mm -hmm. individual clicks... Are our money and time yeah, and energy yeah. and repetitive stress injury and um, the mm -hmm. thing is, my daily word count for the day is not a task like that, so I shouldn't mind so much <laughs> that it's two extra well, buttons. Yeah. I really shouldn't, but just the inefficiency of it mm -hmm. coming to it after how clean and streamlined Wonderlist was. Uh, makes me uh, screaming, angry, Wolverine of rage. Okay. Yeah. That summarizes quite quite nicely. So basically, mm -hmm. um, now that I've done this, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go back to using Wonderlist and screw All the right. milk. That sounds uncomfortable. I I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um. But so we what we will then look forward to or look towards is the eventual release of the Microsoft Tasks, which is supposed to be the replacement. Yeah, let for me, Wonderlist. Let me tell you about how how as a longtime user of Microsoft Word, <laughs> I can't even tell you how much confidence I have for a new Microsoft product. No, really. Yes, I see. Which is interesting because. The one of the things Microsoft is doing, looping back with the Office products, 
especially with the advent of their new Office 365 thing, is with at least all of the, the web-based apps and slowly but surely the um, desktop apps, is they're becoming more agile in that they are... I actually really like Office 365's Word and Excel because it's very streamlined. It doesn't have all that overhead and baggage that you have on the desktop app, which is supposed to, which has to do millions of things. And so, you know, trying to do like a simple formula in Excel is deciphering the Rosetta Stone sometimes. Or, you know, finding out that, oh, wait, I could have automated that with Word because there's this weird hidden feature that it's a button click, but no one knows about it because it was added... 30 years ago. Oh, and it's like the joke, uh, mm -hmm. you you uh, accidentally add a picture in Word, everything shifts one space to the right, and the distance dogs howl. Yes, <laughs> you yes. Know, you don't know what's happened, but you're like, oh, God, oh, God, no, no. I think that's that's kind of every Word process, processing program. I've, I've had that problem with Google Docs. I've had that. But, but yeah, no, the, the point is that when when using it for typesetting and things like that, yeah, no, there's a lot of weird tricks and, and hidden things. But a lot of that, like a lot of that overhead, a lot of all that extra functionality that I think like 90% of the people who own Word don't actually need or use are stripped out. Uh, I will, I, uh, let mm -hmm. me, let me, I have a rant. Okay. Is it on topic? Yes, it's about Word. Okay. But rant it can away. be expanded to other things. Yes. I have to use Word for my job. Mm -hmm. And this isn't, I have to use a word processing program or I have to use something else. I have to use Microsoft Word. Right. Specifically because my publisher uses Microsoft Word. Everything is mm -hmm. set up for them to use Microsoft Word. Yes. With the comments and everything else, they mm -hmm. track comments through that. Yeah. They all have reviewing things. I Using Microsoft Word is a non-negotiable part of my job. And there is, there is an incredibly detailed ranty blog post by Charlie Strauss on that very subject because he hates Word. He is one of he's one of us on the Geek Linux side and would much rather be using something else and can't. Well mm -hmm. as maybe if I say, God damn it, Word, oh God, oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? What did you do? This is not an invitation, Internet, <laughs> to tell me why I should use a different program. I have had people say, well, you need to use this other program. And I explained, no, unfortunately, I have to use Word because my, my publisher expects a Word doc. Yep. And they have then told me to write it in a different program and then import it into a Word doc. And I have said, no. No. That's, okay, no. The Word import functions aren't that good. No. And none of the export functions output something that looks the same in Word as it did in the original thing and vice versa. And then people will begin to get very bitter that I am not taking their advice about, you know, how they should I should be using this far superior program. I'm like, look, I believe that is a far superior program, but I have to have a word file to hand to my publisher. That's how this works. And, and like, what they are well, going to give you back. you don't have to write in that. And I'm like, okay, but they're going, that's what's going to come back to me. That's what I have to hand in. Like, well, you should write in this other thing. Okay, well, no, you're just introducing yet another stage in the process. 
And then if you go on to a self-righteous terror about how, well, do you want an actual solution or do you want to vent? No, the answer is I want to fucking vent. That's why I vented. Yeah. If I wanted a solution to the problem of word, I would ask you to blow up New York. But that's where all the publishing houses are located. And I don't want you yeah. to do that no, because no. those are my friends. And This is not an endorsement <laughs> to commit a terrorist act in New York. I just need to put that out there right now. Uh, okay, yeah, I guess New York's a little humorless about that. But the the although frankly, I bet you New Yorkers make a lot more jokes about it than anybody else in the country. Yeah, but I think they're allowed to. Well, yes. Uh, no, the, the publishers are all my friends. But the point is, without destroying the entire publishing industry from the ground up, mm-hmm. you can't. I can't. I will never get away from work. So telling me that I need to change to all of these other programs. And then getting mad when I'm like, it doesn't work like that. And say, well, you know, you, you you have to decide if you want to be a better, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, dude, I wanted to vent. Let me freaking vent about a program. If I wanted a different program, the question would start with, does anyone know a program I can use to do this? A question that starts with, fuck word, why hast thou forsaken me, is not actually directed at you. And I would like to add on to that, because I agree with... Opinions of Ursula may not reflect the opinions of Kevin or Productivity Alchemy. No, I I, I personally, on the one hand, I believe that you should use the the tool that is appropriate for the task. And in some cases, there are hard requirements on what that tool has to be. Appropriate means a lot of different things. Yes, uh, and sometimes there are requirements as to what that tool has to be. Uh, Let me be honest... I hate Atlassian Jira. And I don't hate Jira overall. I hate pretty much how we've implemented it at work. A lot of there's all this custom functionality and it meets it, it's trying to we've we've made it so I have no idea what Jira is. It's a it's a ticket tracking system basically. Oh like source safe. Source safe is version control. Oh. Like um I'm done. That's fine. Carry on. Help People desk. who know will know. Yeah. Uh, but I can't get away from it because that's what the standard is. That's what we use. If I go up and I say, yes, I'm going to use this other ticket thing, they're going to be great. Send that to me in Jira. If I'm reporting a bug to the developers, great. Is there a ticket for that in the system that the rest of the company uses? Can't get away from it, right? Absolutely not. So this, there are times when the tool you have to use is not the best tool for the job. There are times when the tool you have to use that you are required to use because this is how you you have to interface with a particular thing may not be the best tool for the job. It may not be the most user-friendly tool for the job, but it's the tool you have to use, like it or not. In software, there's a lot more of that in, or even in construction, there is a specific tool to do a specific thing, and you might hate that tool. Great. Car repair. Car this repair. This is the wrench that opens the widget that only works on Mazdas. It's a shitty wrench, but if I want to get into that Mazda, this is the wrench I use. Um, in fairness, it's typically not Mazda. It's typically BMW with that one. Okay, well, you have to You have I, to go and good. buy the, the BMW. You were very close, though. I'm very proud of you. Yay! You have to go, buy, go and buy the BMW-specific wrenches. Yes. You know, oh, well, couldn't you just get a different car? No, I have a, a, a BMW. Do you know how much it would cost to replace a BMW? I don't. I buy GMs because I like Camaros and Firebirds, but that's just me. Anyway. I buy Nissan because they 
I can drive them into the ground and they say, yes, ma'am. Yes. Anyway, <clears throat> all that being said, when it comes to th these sorts of, of choices of tools and workflow, sometimes you don't have a choice to use the best tool for the job, you're using the tool that you have to use. I mean, how many times have we had a, a great technology defeated by the technology that everybody had? And I say this as an Amiga owner. I uh, yeah, no, I still have some Betamax tapes in the in the attic. Oh, Amiga, my oh, heart. Amiga was good stuff. All right. Anyway, well, anyway. Uh, but the 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 other tangential piece to that is that. Until Microsoft implemented very specific features into things like Word, the entire legal industry refused to move off of a program called WordPerfect. I remember WordPerfect. Yes, because... I like, had that on the Amiga. <laughs> yes. Everybody had it somewhere at some point. WordPerfect had a very specific workflow that worked for lawyers and so if you were a legal firm you had word perfect didn't matter because you had to send these documents to other legal firms you had to send them to the courts which used word perfect if they were not still using paper and so on and so forth it wasn't until microsoft was able to meet the same requirements that word perfect started to actually disappear from law firms and that was pretty much the end for word perfect i mean other than other business decisions um until the publishing industry has something that does for it what Word does only better, they're going to use Word, and authors are stuck with Word, and pretty much, I don't know very many authors who like it, but I don't know a single author who would, who would say, no, I'm not giving you this thing in Word format. Even, I'm pretty sure, even Cory Doctorow, who is a huge open source proponent. Corey, if you're listening, I would love to interview you someday. Um, but, and I know he uses a, a very specific set of tools because he talked about them in one of the one of the um, author events I saw him at. He actually then compiles it into a Word document. And then from then on, pretty much the working copy is the Word document. Lots of people do that with Scrivener. Mm -hmm. um, they mm -hmm. write initially in Scrivener. Once you send it to the publisher, you send them a Word doc, 99. Right. And and they're working with crap like InDesign. So, you know, just, just run away, run far, run yeah, fast. Exactly. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, don't run away from our interview. It is a fabulous interview. Oh, no, it's fantastic. Uh, Crimson was had some really good points on productivity, on how he's using Agile, and how he keeps track of his tasks. So why don't you all give it a listen, and we'll be back in a little bit. Yay, I did a segue. Hi folks, I am here with my friend Jacob. Today we're going to talk about productivity and how Jacob implements things. So Jacob, can you introduce yourself for the people at 
home listening or in their car or wherever the hell they're listening. Yeah, or myself when I listen to this later. There you go. Uh, my name is Jacob Dawson. I also go by Crimson. They're uh, really and truly interchangeable for me. Um, a lot of it depends on the context that I'm operating in. So I, speaking of context, I am a software developer for Virginia Tech, and I'm most specifically working on our uh, emergency alerting system, um, which is exciting. And outside of that, I um, my primary time sink of late has been working as an executive uh, for MFF 2017, which just wrapped up. So I have lots of thoughts. And, and free time now. <laughs> uh -huh. I have a little bit, I have fewer constraints on my time than I did last week. Um, right. And I'm also a member of the Dorsai Regulars and a member of the board for that. So um, sometimes I, I will act as a shift leader, duty officer um, on contracts. As and, do uh, I. When... As indeed do you. Yes. So that is a thing that, that is part of the what takes up my time and, and what I'm also passionate about. So I have a lot of other things that I've done, but those are the, the primary things that are going on in my life right now. Cool. Um, so how do you keep yourself organized? Uh, so I mostly put things in my electronic calendar, which follows me around. So if it's a thing that has a specific date that I want to get it done on, or a thing that needs to occur at a specific time, um, like uh, like my therapist appointments, for example. So right, I, see right. one, I see one on periodically. It's uh, good for me. And so those go on my calendar. Um, dental appointments, uh, cons, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes meetings, like this one is on a calendar. Uh, <laughs> it's the easiest way. Like if it has a specific time or date that it needs to get done, it goes on my calendar. Um, and then from a sort of tactical perspective, I, um, I use my sort of make my own weekly planner. So I, I was sort of haphazard for a long time and last mm, six months or so, probably around the same time you started the show, because I think that's <laughs> kind of what pushed me into like, maybe I should try something. There you go. Uh, but, but also the con work was just getting so... Uh, frantic that it was like, I need to plan this stuff out. So I currently scribble um, Monday through Thursday as individual blocks, and then the weekend, Friday through Sunday, on the on the facing page. So I, I can open a page, mm -hmm. and this has a this has a keeper ribbon. I can flip this thing out, and I see my week stuff, and then my weekend stuff. And what I do specifically is I try to fill out only two days at a time. So I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then weekend. And I I won't generally go too far ahead. So for me, it is a truly tactical planner. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it helps me manage the close-up work and like what I need to get done today. Um, there's a gap right now mm -hmm. of sort of the middle-term stuff, and I haven't really figured out what I want to do about it. I might go, since we're sort of exploring Kanban at work, okay. I, and I'm reading personal Kanban at, at, uh, at a co-worker's recommendation, I may try and set up a Kanban Trello board. Like, I have a bunch of Trello boards, and I kind of use it and then lose it. Yeah. I don't have space for a whiteboard, which would probably be better, but such is life. Uh, you can do Kanban really easy, yeah, with Post-it notes and just... It I actually have a, be a whiteboard. Yeah, just a spot, no, yeah. I literally have a blank space on my wall that I'm looking at. I'm like, maybe I can use that. So there's that middle-term stuff, like... Um, longer-term projects that I, I need a place to plan them a little bit better, and I'm not doing that right now. So, that that puts you... The, I'm going to say the term, and so uh, the 
as a regular listener, you know that somewhere Ursula is just suddenly going cult, cult in another room. <laughs> but you're, you're halfway to a bullet journal already. You realize that. Oh, I know. Um, in fact, I adopted a couple of the bullet journal symbols in my weekly planner based on listening to the show. So, cool. like, I was already doing a strikeout or an X, like, if I if I completed it or if I didn't complete it. Um, if, like, if I cancel it, basically, it gets an X through it. Um, but things that are slide through the next day, they get an arrow now. Okay. So I totally picked that up from the show. And, yes, it's extremely similar to bullet journaling. For me, guiding principles of this when I started doing it were very agile because we, we were an agile scrum shop and we're sort of transitioning my section of it to Kanban but they're all on the principles on them are functionally the same. Pretty much. Pretty much. So, so you know it went from figure out your velocity to limit your work in progress but at the end of the day it's all about just only admitting a reasonable amount of work into a time frame. Yes. Oh yeah yeah. And that was a big thing for me. Like, I can tell you very early on, I was super productive when I started doing this. And then I started realizing I was working six hours a day after work. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, no, I need to admit less work and pace myself better because that was unsustainable. It's, it's not really sustainable. As, as someone who, in the early days of, of this company, the company I work for now, who was doing 12 to 16 hour days, five days a week just to keep up i i agree wholeheartedly it is very unsustainable which yeah. kind of brings us to the next question you've already kind of touched on it but what habits or systems are important to you and you've you've already said agile is actually kind of important even if it's not scrum but a lot of the the agile principles i'm a big big person for utilizing underlying principles um and you know the the basic principles of agile are really solid like they get corrupted and people try and you know put capital a agile on stuff and and a lot of people use it as a sort of epithet but you know i've read the agile manifesto it's short oh yeah <laughs> and it's valid uh and it's also like extremely clear up front like you adapt this to do what works for you like so i do um I have a bucket load of work that needs to be done. I can only do so much of it at any given time. Um, I very specifically in my system put a couple of critical daily tasks. So um, the first line in every single day is my language study mm -hmm. and my PT, my physical training. Yeah. Um, so, and some days, you know, that's rest. You know, particularly if I'm following one of my, my PT plans, like there are rest days in there and I will put rest in that block. Nice. And for those who don't know, anyone who's doing physical training, rest is actually an important part of it. Because if you just grind at it day in, day out, day in, day out, you're likely to end up overexerting and hurting yourself. You do need a rest period in there. Yeah. So there's an interesting point with that in that um, rest periods are critical for physical effort because you need downtime for your body to recover. You can only push yourself so hard. Um, and depending on exactly how it's paced out, you know, you can either do one rest day or two rest days. Um, but that's just as true for, for mental exercise. And it's funny, I've been pondering this a lot lately, like you can easily convince yourself that, you know, mental effort doesn't, doesn't follow the same rules. Right. Uh, right. You're not out there slinging bags of flour or whatever every single day. Uh, it's clearly not hard work. Like, no. 
As a knowledge worker, if you pay attention to it, you you suffer the same things. And it's, um, it's interesting because the the spoon theory for physical activities, especially for people with chronic conditions or chronic pain, mm-hmm. they've done the research and they found that there is actually essentially something similar that happens with your attention span and paying attention and being able to focus on things. And so oh, yeah. that, that rest is really important because at some point you run out of attention spoons. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I see this a lot because I, I'm a knowledge worker, right? I write software or I beat my head against software pretty much every day. Um, and then my hobbies are often things that require me to do more of that. So the work that I do for MFF, um, which I don't remember if I expanded, but it's Midwest for Fest. Um, they, it's very knowledge work intensive. It's often very, very similar to my day job. So, you know, when I'm putting in a couple hours a night on that and eight-ish hours a day on my day job, I don't have a lot of time for my other mental activity. I don't have a lot of brain left for my other mental activities. So I don't, the last six months, actually this year, I have not done very much writing. Right. Um, I'm it, probably at a quarter of what I was doing the prior, prior year. We should mention, by the way, that you are a uh, fiction writer. Yes. And are, I have been published by Sofa Wolf Press, who's a friend of the show, and Jeff was on uh, about a month yeah. ago. So, Indeed, indeed I am. And you have a copy of my, my published work through Sofa Wolf. I do. It's sitting on my shelf. Uh, sad to say I've not <laughs> had a chance to read it yet. I've been working through a couple other things. No, that's fair. I barely read right now. You too. So. Yeah. Like again, and, and it's funny, that is a that kind of touches on a different thing. Sometimes my hobbies get scavenger class categorizations. Like if you look at it from like a, a quality of service uh, perspective, like there's, <laughs> I have a background in networking, so yeah. it was important at one time in my career. Um, but I look at a lot of these things as scavenger class traffic, like my writing or even reading. Like, And the problem is that you'll never get to them. There's always, particularly with the work that I'm doing um, for my hobbies, like MFF, mm-hmm. my non-pay work, really, you know, they'll, they, they will use all of the time that I can possibly give them. And working for a convention is like that. Every convention is a hungry beast and will always say, give me more. So you have to, if you really want to do something, if I really want to do something, it has to go on my schedule because I'll forget about it. And I'll still push some of those. Sometimes video games is on the schedule for the day, and it and it doesn't happen. But at least I was thinking about it. That's yeah. why language and PT are non-negotiable items on there, well, and, um, because those are super important. Yeah, and the language is is part of the lifetime learning, and mm-hmm. the PT is part of self care and health. Oh my, oh my gosh, my alcohol consumption went way down when I got back to PTing regularly. Really, which tells. Tells me I was self-medicating for stress. <laughs> but I mean, no kidding. I I was sort of observing that I was having, you know, a few, couple drinks a night sometimes. Mm-hmm. Drink, two, three, depending on the day. Um, and now that I go out and pee too regularly, I forget most days. <laughs> yeah. Like, I still have, like, I'm going to make a couple of, you know, French 75s or whatever. I'll pick a cocktail and do two to four of them, depending on the evening. Yeah. But, like, I... Not nearly like I used to. Yeah. So um, PT is huge. It's um, again as a knowledge worker, I don't do that uh, otherwise. So I have to <laughs> schedule it. And and as a person who can do those things, I, I don't. I can't speak for people who are less able. And I do occasionally run into being a bit ableist unintentionally. 
Right. Um, I've had friends call me out, and it's like, okay, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> uh, but I like to, I like to push myself physically, so I I go out and do those things. So to me, that's also that's a triple stress reducer because I get the I'm doing a thing that I need to do, which is self care. PT like it makes my doctor happier if I ever talk to him <laughs> yeah but I like I know that I need to be doing that to make myself healthier but I also get the sort of uh you know the the pseudo endorphin thing out of it like it makes me feel better physically there's a direct action there and I feel uh, less stressed as a result and then thirdly I'm knocking a thing off the list that I know I ought to be doing <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so this is my process is basically it goes on the calendar and then when I get super close I I do it out on the book and it's been working really well. I, I barely wrote anything in the book for MFF because that was a firefighting gig. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But um, you know, for MFF I was more calendar based. Like there were there were key points in time that we had to hit for things like opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, go dinners, uh, morning meetings for the execs, that sort of thing. Like, so those all went in my calendar and then I, I had a mental structure. I barely consulted it, but it was there if I needed it. And mostly um, putting it in and structuring it out, looking at it ahead of time, helped me know what things I needed to do. And uh, for my part, once I have a shift schedule for a convention, I'm also putting those blocks of time into my calendar with little reminders so that I can quickly look it up and I finish a shift because you also have worked the duty officer shifts. And it's like, yes, I've been on for six hours. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm going to sleep now. What time do I need to set my alarm for if I'm going to get up yeah. for my next shift? So it, the nice thing about duty officer, the way that we run it is you always know you're coming back in 12 hours. Right. Um, now, the downsides are if you want to try and socialize with anyone, you have to work really hard to get around the fact that you've got to sleep regularly and eat regularly and do your job. Because, hey, key thing, it's a, it's a high-stress position. It's not mm -hmm. always high-stress, but it's really more like you need to have a lot of stress capacity when you're on shift because it can be intensely stressful, as I'm sure that... I know you've experienced, and I know that I've experienced some intensely stressful shifts. Yep. You need to go into that with the capacity to deal with it. Yeah, and, and so that means you got to take care of yourself. And funny, that's actually true everywhere else. I'm just not as good as it at it. <laughs> like well, it's super easy to focus for a weekend and do that because I go into a place and there's a context. You get outside of that, like it, it can go away. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I understand completely. But the principle is still valid. It doesn't didn't change from being a valuable thing or a true thing. It's just that you forgot, well, I'm no longer in special case, so I don't need to do that anymore. Right. It's me again. Uh, I'm not that different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so next question. What is the what do you think has been the biggest help or best advice given to you? Boy, howdy, there's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> like I, I was thinking about this on my, my quick ruck this evening. And it was, there's a lot of things that came up, but I think, you know, I talked a little bit about principles. There's a, a gentleman that I train with, um, have trained with a couple of times, um, seminars for the, the Budo that I studied, yeah. or I haven't studied much lately, but still matters a lot to me, um, mm -hmm. where he was, he was really big on principles, not techniques. Um, specifically, that you learn principle you you do study techniques but you study techniques as a tool for learning a principle um the key point there is 
you know, it's not the specifics of I do it exactly like this and then I do it exactly. Like, you're not following a recipe because the recipe is itself inherently um, valid or pure or whatever. Right. There's a principle that underlies it. Um, and this is, this is, you know, was taught in a martial arts context. So, you know, okay, there's a thing you do this, you know, somebody does this, you do this and you throw this joint lock and they fall over. Okay. Well, this, that's a technique, but there is an underlying principle about breaking structure and, and using space and stuff like that. And that's what you're trying to understand eventually. So it's not about collecting techniques. It's about understanding principles. Gotcha. That, that applies really everywhere. Lots of places. Yeah. I have seen very few places where that the principle of that <laughs> has not applied. There's a lot of um, one of my favorite things to do is to take something out of context that seems like it solves the same kind of problem. Mm -hmm. um, so if a host moves on a network, you know what? That's an address change, and the, an object with has some kind of identity has moved to a different location in network. It's not necessarily the right answer, but the post office has actually solved this problem. <laughs> exactly yes um it's not it's not necessarily the answer way to apply but when you're trying to figure out how you do something you might go and look at a similar a solution to a similar problem and try and understand hey what's what's the principle that's going on over there but you have to kind of understand the principle of the problem first right um so i that's that's one of my favorite problem solving techniques mm -hmm. it also involves talking to a lot of subject matter experts when you can and mm -hmm. there's a lot of value in that i would say the other big one which actually also comes out of Bujin Khan study is um, you know that which is perfect is dead ah. is, which is me, me paraphrasing an English translation of something that was said in Japanese in class um, but so <laughs> <laughs> phrasing is, is a little bit but the, the basic principle <laughs> of that is uh, that you're not going to be perfect and you can't be complacent about that. You, it's not to say that to, to it's, it's actually not to become complacent about imperfection either. It's about sort of reducing your error margins and sort of spiraling around whatever the sort of pure thing that you're after is. But also to understand that you're going to be working on this forever. Um, and if you stop working on it, you've lost something. It's really... You know, like you are not progressing in that, which means you're sort of functionally not alive in that context. Right, right. Which is oh. interesting because one of my favorite phrases is, especially when working on a project or, or something, is perfect is the enemy of done. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it is. Like, And that's, that's the same kind of thing here. Mm -hmm. Like, There's that. The, um, the It ties closely into uh, something that I, I heard a little bit earlier. Yes, about mm -hmm. a couple of years prior when I was doing my, my EMT class for the first time was uh, the concept of continuous improvement, um, right. which is really important in, in the EMS field, um, which in case anyone's not familiar, it's emergency medical services and uh, uh, EMT is well, emergency medical technician, um, which I'm an EMT basic, which means right. I can't poke you, but I can plug you. <laughs> um but, but yeah, and, and continuous improvement has gained a lot of ground in terms of uh, a principle in software development, a principle mm -hmm. in physical development, uh, principle in uh, physical personal. therapy, personal development. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically it's 
the concept particularly there, it's not just a concept of, okay, we're always trying to improve, but it is a, it is a skill and it's a habit. And so the thing that if you, as an organization, you need to develop that as a part of your organizational culture mm-hmm. where you, um, particularly in EMS, that was, it was kind of a branded system. And uh, part of that was like, it's blame free. Like people can make mistakes and you do need to help them correct it. But there's a lot of times where like, hey, especially in EMS, you're not going to have hundred percent good outcomes. Mm-hmm. You are going to have, Things that go wrong, you're going to show up on a scene that's just nasty. You're going to have patients that die while you're trying to give them care. And oh, yeah. you you have to learn from those things, but you can't beat yourself up too badly. Now, if you make a serious mistake, you got to kind of own that too. But yeah, yeah. You know, those, don't, those don't necessarily preclude like taking responsibility for your errors, but it is a big thing about just being like, no, we we have a thing where we always learn from this stuff. The other thing that went into that was like, don't just sit down and figure out what happened on a bad call. Sit down and figure out what, what went well, what you need to change, you know, or improve um, on good calls as well. Like everything's a learning opportunity, which comes back to that. Yeah. Retrospectives are important, whether it was a good event or a bad event. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I like about agile as a system is that it jives with all of that. So yes. I was really, I'm really enthusiastic about it when it came up in work. I'm enthusiastic about using Scrum because, hey, Agile, pure, or not, not Scrum, but uh, <laughs> uh, using Scrum wasn't working for the kind of work that we had to do. Right. So you try it, you, you tinker with it, you learn from it, you go, okay, well, this, this particular system is not quite a good match. Mm-hmm. So we're trying Kanban now because we have a little bit more, you know, we're trying to do more of a, a steady work in you know, workflow kind of thing as opposed to a sprint thing. Right. We have a lot of we have a lot of extant software to maintain. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big part of why Kanban is is a closer match. It yeah. seems like a closer match for us. There's one more thing. Uh oh. I know there's three. But <laughs> it's a lot. But uh is it I, I was learning this from a friend of mine, you know he made it explicit in a thing that he said uh, mm-hmm. Which is basically that positivity is a choice. And I've heard it phrased as happiness is a choice, um, used sometimes in contexts where people had a lot of reason to be unhappy. But positivity, it's a choice, it's a skill and a habit. Hmm. And I I can be a really negative person because I can be really critical. Um, <laughs> so I find that a valuable thing as well. Like it's mm-hmm. maintaining a positive attitude is incredibly valuable. You know, I will, you will hear me rant about people getting their mind right and I, I borrow a lot of slogans out of the military because I dabbled in that very briefly and then also the my current PT enthusiasm is very uh, military themed yeah. <laughs> so uh, so they're they'll they'll sit there and yell at you about you know um, attitude is everything make sure yours is good or you know if mind over matter if you don't mind it doesn't matter or get your mind right but yeah. like no kidding, I actually saw that in the last ruck that I did. Like, <laughs> we had a big, strong guy, burned himself out physically, got frustrated with somebody who, you know, frankly, wasn't, wasn't pulling their own weight. Mm-hmm. Um, literally wasn't pulling their own weight because they weren't carrying their own bag. <laughs> After about 10 minutes in, which is like, you know, on on the one hand, I go, hey, this isn't even your first one. You got to know what this is about. But, you know, on the other hand, uh, sometimes it happens. Yeah, and yeah. getting frustrated about it doesn't help. And I watched him 
spend most of those four hours in the middle of the night be really quite cross and and watched his performance go down. Mm-hmm. So positivity is critical, and I'm I try, you know. But it's a it's an active thing. It's not like you accidentally are positive about things. Right. Right. That's a that's a skill versus talent kind of thing too. Some yeah. people are are I differentiate between skills and talents as um, talents make it easier to to perform skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, natural aptitude is one thing, but also all the talent in the world will not get you there if you don't work on it. Yeah, and that's that's something that Ursula has said in many uh, <laughs> an art panel, much to the distress of people who are present who think that they they who are aware they have talent and think that can carry them and not realize that, as, as she said, you know, you need to spend hours and hours just drawing everything. Draw your hand for five hours a day mm-hmm. just to improve. Uh, and... It's a deliberate action. Mm-hmm. And uh, One of my yeah. other key key phrases, you know, is, mm-hmm. is deliberation. Take deliberate action. Don't just accidentally do stuff. Right. Um, also really important in Bujinkan stuff. Bujinkan is a life art. I reference it frequently. Yeah. So those are best advices and feedback things. Cool. Key principles. <laughs> I like those. How about rewards? How do you reward yourself? I mean, other than that. Good sh- drink. Yeah, I was going to say that that shared reward we have at the end of a convention where we're like, well, we can drink now. Yeah, and there is something to be said for marking the end of a momentous event like that. Mm-hmm. And every every event that we slog ourselves on is a momentous. And in fact, you do miss it. I miss it when I work the small cons and I go home on Sunday night. Yeah. Um, because there's nothing like sitting around with the people that you just worked your ass off with. And, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't even have to be drinking, but sitting around, sorry, yeah. and sitting around and being present with them and and appreciating the teamwork that you have developed over that. Like, you, you will mm-hmm. build camaraderie if you do difficult things with other people. Or and deal I with see- difficult people with other people. Yeah, but it's de- dealing with a difficult person is doing a difficult thing. Yes. Um, so that's one of the things I like about rocking. It's one of the things I like about a con work. I watched it happen again this weekend with MFF. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's nothing like something difficult and a team of people who all want to get it done to build an actual team. And so, yes, I, I like to celebrate success by sitting around and BSing with people after one of those. Um Otherwise, like when it's personal success, I often don't. Um, as with many people that you've talked to, um, a lot of it is, great, I got the thing done. Well, what's the next thing that needs to get done? I have more work than I will, you know, that I ever have time for. Right. Um, so I, I have to pace myself, which means I deliberately put in time for video games or time to write because I get antsy if I don't. Mm-hmm. Or... Or whatever, I, I put in what might be reward time, except that I'm not rewarding myself. I'm I'm pacing myself. Those right. are my rests. <laughs> so that's not really a reward. And if I wanna you know, once in a while I'll be like, you know, screw this, I'm gonna go get the next Lego building. Because I like Lego architecture sets. I um, know, they're they're brilliant and I'm there's a couple they, that I can't get anymore that I'd love oh my to God. own. Yeah. I keep meaning to get the Imperial Hotel because A, that doesn't exist anymore. B, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright building. And C, it's a Lego architecture set. Yeah. But it's like 100, 150 bucks, And I don't really want to spend that yet. <laughs> um, but like a lot of the ones I have are 30 to 40 bucks, So it's super easy to just sort of impulse buy them. Right, right. And, you know, for the most part, no, I, I don't reward myself. If I want to do something, I will put it on as a task that I want to do. Like I'm going to Paris. Yes. Um, 
In fact, you will, you will be doing MAGFest without me, as you yes, know. Yes, I'm aware. Because, yes. because I will be in Paris for part of that, and I will absolutely uh, crank call you guys from there. <laughs> um, we'll deserve it. We'll need the break by then. You, yeah, I'll send you pictures of the Eiffel Tower and be like, I've got coffee at the Eiffel Tower, and you've got MAGFest. <laughs> the only thing that would that would possibly be worse that you could do would be if it were uh, Café du Monde in New Orleans. Yeah. Because we're all big fans. It's pretty stunning. But, like, so I said, I need need a vacation. Like, I said that I needed a vacation. I recognized that I was stressing myself like crazy. And I decided I wasn't going to fight furlough this year. Like, I I usually work through the furlough Mm -hmm. and and do all the work to arrange it so that I can. Because they they tell you you have to take leave between Christmas and New Year's. Three, four days. Yeah. Mostly I've managed to finagle my way out of it, but I knew it wasn't going to work well this year, so I said, if I'm going to be told that I have to take leave, I'm going to do something fun with it. Absolutely. And I looked at it and said, well, it's a terrible time to go skiing because everyone else does that <laughs> at the same time, so I'm going to go to Paris. And I'm going to block it out so I don't go to MAGFest so that I can actually have downtime. So it's kind of a reward for getting past MFF, but it's really just stress management activity. Yeah. That so, was... That was sort of how we handled Iceland because we <laughs> we were on our way to Worldcon, which was going to be stressful but not stressful because it's sort of a working fan relations time for us, yeah. Uh, especially with the Hugo ceremony coming up and all that stuff, and we're just like, you know, we can stop at Iceland on the way there. Yeah, and so I guess in some ways it's a deciding to make time for something as a stress relieving activity is sort of a reward like you mm-hmm. you get to a point but but I don't like give myself a gold star or say I can go get an ice cream like that's <laughs> if I want ice cream I'll go get ice cream oh like, damn skippy I, I'm a freaking adult I can go do these things <laughs> yes. so I don't it's more for me about scheduling time for the things that I like to do um in addition to things that I have to do and managing the things that I have to do um, in, a, in a way that's sustainable, and that's been a, an ongoing process. Yeah. That's It's sort of its own reward. <laughs> so on the flip side, you know question this one's six. coming. Yeah, question six. What about when you fail or miss? You know, to be honest, uh, from a continuous improvement perspective, mm-hmm. you don't do it. I mean, you learn from it. Right. Well, there's no reason to beat myself up or punish myself. The fact that I missed the goal is arguably punished enough. If it's a small thing, like, um, oh, I, I got... I scheduled too much stuff for the day and something or I scheduled a reasonable amount and something sideswiped me. I just moved the thing that didn't get done to the next day. Um, you know, it, it in an agile scrum perspective, it would fall through to the next sprint. Right. Or it would just fall through to the next day, you know, mm-hmm. depending on how you how you look at it. But but that concept of oh, it didn't get done, we'll just do it next time. We'll do it the next time work work comes around. Back into the backlog. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can get reprioritized. Some of them have been. Like, mm-hmm. I've, I'll put it on for three days and, and keep not getting to it. And I, I might just go, we're not going to try for it for a little bit. Um, other times it gets pushed and pushed and pushed. Sometimes it's like I push it and then I forget about it and then I get back to it, which is booking the second half of my trip. <laughs> I, I need to book hotels for the part where I'm in Cologne for two days. That um, would be part important. Of, yeah. Part of that was making a final decision about exactly how I wanted to schedule that part of mm-hmm. the trip. Um, and now I, I I started looking at hotels and I need to finish looking at hotels and book them. But um, yeah, So mostly just push it into the next time slot. Mm-hmm. You know, like, didn't get done today. I, I get to the end of the day. Um, sometimes I'll go to bed and I'll look at my, my tasks for yesterday that didn't get checked off and go, okay, these I did actually do and this needs to go. 
sometimes, um, which is not 100% related, but I will go back and write down the things that I did that I didn't plan to do. Yes. So that I can check them off, which, you know, I didn't say this on question five, but mm-hmm. crossing through a thing <laughs> is pretty satisfying. Oh, yeah. It creates a visual record of the work that you've done. Now, it's not a record I can access anywhere but in my little notebook, but honestly, writing in my notebook is its own reward because it's got nice paper and I get to use my little, my fountain pen. Yes. So so failures are kind of the same thing. There's there's very few things that I... They're like big goal failures, mm-hmm. um, which might seem like a weird thing to say, but I don't fail at those a whole lot. Um, I, did, I did screw some things up. Uh, MFF, I said, we're going to deliver some art show software. It slipped and slipped and slipped because we weren't... Um, we just weren't getting enough work done and we got the critical stuff, but we did not get anything on the art show. It was the most recoverable thing to, to lose because you can run an art show out of a bunch of spreadsheets, but you know, that sucks. Used to do it on paper and graph paper, right? So Peter Katz still does. Yes. (laughs) Anthrocon specifically still runs all of that, uh, on paper. So I know how it can be done. And so I didn't feel too, too bad about it, but it's still like, it sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, and the answer to that is to learn from it. I looked at it and I said, okay, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. I, one thing that I failed at was, that, well, I didn't have a, I didn't have a team when I started the year. We lost a bunch of time, which right. was part of why it was successful. Um, I slowly got a team. I lost the team member that I had assigned some of the work to because he had to bow out to get surgery. Yeah, that's um, a little more important. Yeah. Yeah. Blame free. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> duh. Um, and okay, so we lost time on that. I was focused on other things that I was doing. I was arguably being a bad manager because I was individual contributing. Um, you know, the 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 downside is you do kind of fight the battle between do I have time to train people mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. do I have to get it done right now? And we were so time crunched all year that get it done right now took precedence. Um, you know that that. Mm-hmm showed because it meant that I was the primary individual contributor for you know new software development. Right. Um, you know, we contracted uh, with Vicky, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Victoria Earl, mm-hmm. uh, who, not the Vicky that you've interviewed. Um, but, and, you know, she did a lot of the work, but like the integration, the sysadmin, a lot of the other things that went around owning this piece of software, I ended up doing. And right. Similarly, when, when it came time to work on the, the art show software that we wanted to use, a lot of it fell back on me. And it's like, you know, particularly once I bounced off of the first round of burnout mm-hmm. and then nearly bounced off of a second round of burnout, which... <laughs> um, it's not uh, fun. <laughs> it's not fun. I mean, I, I bounced off of a stress, a stress maximum at the con. Like, I walked out of a meeting kind of thing. And that sucks. But yeah. it was stress. Mm-hmm. Um uh, another example, actually, like, so, you know, basically I started admitting less work, which meant less work got done. I don't consider it an inherently bad thing, um, but it was unfortunate that that software didn't get available. Um, you know, we tried to pull out soon enough. There were mm-hmm. other, there was time to implement a solution um, that was reasonable, if not great, before the con. If that didn't happen, and that wasn't on my department, so I don't right. feel bad about that. <laughs> That particular element. Right, um, right. It sucks, and I hate doing that to the attendees. Mm-hmm. But there are times when you need to feed people enough rope to watch them fail. Yeah. And there um, are times when, if it's something that doesn't, that isn't going to be noticeable to the attendee, 
Oh yeah. Then it's it's a much different story than and uh, you know as as we've seen both of us working on systems like that uh, as a registration system or something that is critical that is facing who is basically the event's customer. Yeah. Because anything that takes away from their experience. It's pretty bad. Is pretty bad. But if it's something that makes it a little harder for the volunteers, or the volunteers are like, ah, eh, we didn't get it this year, we'll just use the old system, yeah. that usually isn't as big a deal. Yeah, well, in this case, we abandoned the old system for very specific reasons, and that took <laughs> Reg, Dealer's Room, and Art Show Management with it. Right. And we we didn't we weren't getting it back. Um, and part of that was terminating our relationship with the, uh, the, the people who were providing it. Right. Because um, it was an awkward relationship. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and in some ways, right, like that's a prime example of there are a lot of things going on and not all of your goals are are compatible. Um, like that was a meeting, uh, meeting a business goal of the organization, not necessarily making it easy on the art show staff. Um, right, right. And, and these happen all the time, both in, in the corporate world and in volunteer organizations. And this is the compromise sometimes you have to make. And the other thing is, like, it's software, software development and delivery. Sometimes shit happens. Like, <laughs> we got to that state because shit happened. We yep. literally had two senior staff die this year. Yes, um, and 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 we had yeah, yeah. So two senior staff. Yeah. Um, and then you know, honestly, that showed in some things that happened to Con. So this mm-hmm. this stuff happens. You just got to roll with it, and you got to mitigate it. So yeah. one of our mitigation strategies was we got a couple of people who were going to work on an alternate solution. You know, I pulled the plug earlier than I would would originally have because um, some of my folks talked me into realizing that it wasn't going to get done, and that was smart. Yeah, that was actually a prime example of like I was going to burn hard on it, and they're like, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, do and do. It, do don't do it if you're not going to do a good enough job. Yeah, good enough is definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for good enough. So yeah. in any case, that was mm-hmm. one of the you know an example of like you just got to learn from it. There's I went through I just went through the process of like these are all the things that happened. There were places where I could have done better. There's some great learning points for next year. Mm-hmm. One thing is, I've got a team now, and they're assembled at the beginning of our work cycle, our annual work cycle, which means that they can start working on stuff. I've learned a few things about the system. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's there's some opportunities to try and get, you know, the developer of the other software to you know, potentially update it so that it's a little easier to work on. Because um, mm-hmm. you haven't touched it in a couple of years, which means the frameworks have changed. Right, right. Um, so I may have, one of the challenges, I may have installed too, too late a version of the framework that it depends on. <laughs> For it to run successfully, you know. So but now you've got t- a year to figure it out. Yeah, more or less, and um, and we've got a lot of other stuff. So you, you just learn from it yeah. as best you can. Try not to blame people. Own your mistakes, but learn from them, and that's more important. And I I will say that to anyone that I I'm working with is I don't really care that you screwed up. I want you to learn from it. If you're learning from your errors, I am extremely forgiving. If you're making the same errors. And you're not understanding their problems. That's when I get angry. That's a problem. That's the real problem. Yeah, and but you know, and then you look at that and go, okay, well, how can the organization help this person? You know, mm-hmm. from a from a leadership perspective, we have staff development obligations. We need to set expectations. Setting expectations with our 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 
directors and stuff like that was a thing we didn't do enough of mm -hmm. so a learning point for this year is look at the behavior realize that trying to correct it meant we should have been providing expectations great try and provide them going forward if you can definitely moving into next year you know mm -hmm. we i mean we literally everyone in the exec staff was like we had some people that were being challenging it was hard to bring everyone around to firing them because we weren't setting all of our expectations. And when you start looking around, you're like, that behavior over there is also because we're not setting expectations. Right. Right. As an event grows, expectations have to change. That's a big learning point for this year as well. So. And I think that's that's a, a not just an event, but I think any organization needs to understand that, that as they grow, you, you can't continue to do the same thing the same way forever. Yes. In fact, mm -hmm. that does tie back into the continuous improvement mm -hmm. aspect. It does. Like you have to constantly be looking at yourself and going, am I doing the things that I need to be doing? Is my organization doing the things that it needs to be doing? Are its goals correct for where it is and where it wants to go? What is, is this consistent with its mission statement? Does it even have a mission statement? Should it have a mission <laughs> statement? Um, I'm a big fan of mission statements as, as like every, as a tool to use to guide your actions because, you know, if you have a good mission statement, everything should contribute to that. And, Yes, including not dying in a ditch uh, outside of Walmart. Outside of Walmart, yes. yes. Um, that's a prime example. Like, <laughs> I I couldn't necessarily tell you what mission statements were for some of the organizations I'm involved in. Uh, maybe that's a fault on my part of not looking it up. I suspect that it's not adequately well-developed. The problem is, how do you make good decisions about what to do for the future of your organization if you don't have a mission statement? Absolutely. So, um, and from a personal perspective, it's the same deal. Like, what do I want to get done? What, mm -hmm. what do I care about? Me right now, it's hard actually on a personal level to think about mission statements because like I, I don't have an overarching purpose. I want to live for a while and have a good time <laughs> to do stuff. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, go, to, go to Paris, have a good time. Like yeah, but Paris isn't going to Paris is not the reason that I, I, that I live, you know? Right. Um, I do... I do work to live, not live to work. I, I would a thousand times uh, stop doing my job so that I could write and take photos, and travel. Um, oh, believe me, I would. I would quit my job tomorrow if I could podcast full time. Yeah, like I, I don't dislike my job, but I would rather be doing a dozen other things. Um, <laughs> but I can't afford to. So, right. um, you know, that's. So I guess for me, you know, you could say, hey, what are the things that I love to do? I can look at what the what ties them together and then then try and maybe develop a concept, if not a mission mm -hmm. statement out of that, you know. But but it's interesting because once you do that, it allows you to look at the things that your your obligations and start evaluating on how they contribute to what makes you happy. Right. Which actually yep. trying to circle myself back on a point, but like. <laughs> I, had a, I had a lot of soul searching this year about um, my involvement with MFF because yeah. it was I I definitely put in about uh, I'd say close to 200 hours before the con. You put in a lot of work, and yeah. probably another 50 at the con. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about 50. This is working eight-hour days except for the 12-hour day that I worked. <laughs> Then uh, that was me specifically documenting time, not all of the other stuff that kind of slops in. Like, you know, you got to eat. Don't not necessarily working for the con when I'm <laughs> take, taking thirty or sixty minutes to go get food. Yeah, yeah. But that's time you got to take. So, um, you know, and and it's easy to say. It's easier when you're at the event to recognize why is that you do this when you you can watch mm -hmm. people have a good time and all of that. And you know, frankly, I also kind of live to be 
a part of high-functioning teams doing difficult work. Yes. It is absolutely the biggest high in the world for me to get together with a handful of other people who are incredibly motivated, um, not necessarily highly skilled, but motivated with good attitudes who can develop skills. Um, because you can teach skills. Yes. Like, at yeah. the end of the day, you can always teach skills, and maybe somebody's not going to take them very well, and you find something else for them to do. But, you know, I can teach skills. I can't teach an attitude. And attitude is everything. So if I work with a bunch of people with a good attitude, and and we can work on something that's hard, but we work together and we accomplish it, it's amazing. That's It's an amazing feeling, yeah. It oh, is. Yeah. I mean, you feel like you're on top of the freaking world. The downside is you can get... Um, you can get a little PTSD out of the deal. <laughs> now, if you ever read Mike Cole's thing on on PTSD, oh, yeah. his description where it's he was talking about like coming back to a world, coming back from a world where you could basically get on the radio and literally destroy the world around you. Um, you know, call in an airstrike with something. But that that kind of impact on your surrounding environment. I have that at cons. I don't have that at the office. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. And that's a it's a challenging transition to go back from I can literally do anything we can we can accomplish all sorts of stuff. Part of that is, hey, you're operating in a super constrained environment. There isn't time for bureaucracy to wait three weeks to give you a server or right. six weeks to give you a server, even though they're all virtualized. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah. anyway. I mean that's another that's another challenge. We're yeah. getting off topic here, yeah. but but and you you need to go get dinner. So, I actually the reason I was late is because I was making dinner. <laughs> so it's now cold in front of me, but it'll be tasty. It'll be tasty. So, but uh, that was all the questions. Yes. All right. So, all right. Thank you very much. Thank um, you. Uh, I will get you the I was a guest code, and I'm sure I will talk to you later. And yeah. uh, hopefully everybody got a lot out of this because I learned a lot. Believe it or not. Cool. Well, yeah. If anyone's got questions, I'm easy to find. Yes. If you just want to talk, like you can find me on Twitter. Um, Kevin can put it in the show notes. It's Crimson Rari, but yep. Good luck. <laughs> That's why I'm Unless... going to put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you. So yep. it's always a fun opportunity to ramble. Uh, absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. And we are back. It's great to actually be able to sit and talk to Jacob in a context that isn't we're at a convention. Someone is vomiting. Someone is vomiting. We're working at a convention. We're getting ready to work at a convention. We're discussing what we need to do at a convention. <laughs> or you are drinking heavily because the convention because is the finally convention, over. Because the convention's over, yeah. Although that is, uh, as he said, that is one of the, the better times at the convention because that's when you really get that kind of feeling of camaraderie and shared experience. Yes. One of the things he did talk about, though, is that positivity is a choice. And then he explained 
I know okay. you haven't listened to it, but uh, and it, I, it's good you said that because mm-hmm. if he was trying to say that you know that you can cure your ills by thinking positive, I would hunt him down and punch him repeatedly while screaming, "Think positive about this, you bastard!" <laughs> and, and he did not. That is not, not what he said at all. Thank God, I um, love you, Crimson. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this week's badge code is actually positivity, all caps. And for those of you who are listening who can't spell it, it'll actually be in the... It's it's part of the metadata of the MP3 file. If anyone hasn't noticed the recordings, I'm populating the metadata, and every episode gets the badge code kind of inserted in there. Wow, my laptop is working really hard, so we'll try to get through this relatively quickly. I have nothing more to say. I'm reading a thing about heirloom beans. Yeah, you've got a thing about heirloom beans. That's amazing. Yep. So check out... The webpage for this week's episode, I'm going to have the show notes up there with links to Crimson's Twitter, because he said, hey, he's always happy to talk about this thing, as well as some of the other things we mentioned during the interview. I will... uh, You still have a chance to enter to win the contest from episode 23 for a copy of The Simple Elephant Planner by Paper Code. Just remember to comment about uh, that I want a planner on episode 23 and we've got entries coming up so i'm really excited about doing this drawing next week oh my god it's next week it is um so there's that you can sponsor us on patreon patreon just did some weird stuff uh more details as they happen um we do not know enough about it at the moment Mm -hmm. it literally came out like this morning uh and then they're announcing it to the rest of the world apparently tomorrow uh no no they, they announced it to the rest of the world this morning if we knew about it this before, I didn't read the email because I was busy. Okay, yeah, yeah. no, there's there's an email to to creators only that hasn't been rolled out to everybody yet, but it's still getting out because the creators didn't have a thing to say, don't tell. Yeah, I don't even know. Right. Uh, anyway, the point is, you can support our Patreon if you choose to do so. That is patreon.com slash V. If it turns out that this change they're making is going to screw donors, then... Particularly $1 donors. And, and the mm-hmm. thing is... Uh, this is apparently mostly bad for one dollar donors because now you have to be like a buck thirty five donor or something. Yeah, they're they're basically and it's like no, we we make the, the majority of what goes on from dollar donors. We love right. you guys. You're awesome. Right. To clarify, what it looks like they're doing is shifting the fees from the from the donation that goes to the creator to. The people who are donating. So and, if you want to donate, you basically have to pay the transaction fee. And I would rather cover that. And apparently Absolutely. one of their facts is, no, let me cover that still. And they're like, we don't actually have an option for that. And all the creators are like, no, no, give us an option for that because we'll cover that. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. we don't want to screw our patrons over. They're, yeah. they're our patrons. We yeah. love them. Yeah. So anyway. But, so, we'll see how it shakes out. We'll see how it shakes out. We also have a donation form on the Hidden Almanac. If you do not feel like supporting on, on uh, Patreon, we do have that option. It is a one-time donation, not a recurring the same way. But and, and there's also Drip, which we haven't set up yet, and God only knows what that'll be. Exactly. Um, I might set up a coffee account where they could just buy me a cup of coffee. It isn't even recurring. It's just like, oh, hey, I, I have enough money for a cup of coffee now. Um, well, anyway, we'll work something we'll, out. We'll work something out, but you can still support us on Patreon for now. Uh, Patreon.com, Ursula V. That supports this. The Hidden Almanac. Kevin and Ursula eat cheap. All your ebooks. Yes, all my self-published books. Yep. Uh, Not all her ebooks, but her self-published books. Uh, the Future Chicken Cam. Yes, the the a lot of the equipment for the Future Chicken Cam, which I'm about two thirds done on and getting ready to do the first hardware install. 
on the coop probably this weekend. I, I know you just wanted chicken cam internet. I think they do, given <laughs> how excited they get. Anyway, all these things are supported by the Patreon right now. And we love you guys. And we love you guys. Check out our other podcasts, Kevin and Ursley, Cheap for the uh, Not Faint of Heart and Definitely Grown Ups, Hidden Almanac for those of you who want a little escapism. And you know what? Go out and be productive.